You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading today is from Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of God shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I say, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say it to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arms rule with for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe you saw this in the news back in October. A hiker in Colorado lost the trail just as the sun was beginning to set. Frantically began to look for the path, but it was dark and he lost his way. And After a long search in the dark as the sun finally rose, the paths that he did find were unfamiliar and ended up leading him in the wrong direction. The interesting thing about the story is that he unintentionally prolonged the misery of being lost. Maybe you read this in the news because... What he did was he refused to pick up a repeated call from an unknown number who just happened to be search and rescue. Two problems. One is he did not want to answer a strange, unexpected call from an unknown number. Who can blame him? You see that number come through, you're like, oh, I rebuke you in Satan. I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. You got to be really desperate to take the unknown call. But also, while he clearly understood that he was lost, later in an interview with Search and Rescue, he said, it never dawned on me that anyone would be looking for me. So his primary problem was not just that he missed the call. The bigger problem was that he could not imagine that anyone would be searching for him. This story of the hiker really is the default setting of the human heart. I may know you and I may not know you, but I think I know something about you. That we all in some way are anxiously searching. Man, woman, child, believer, non-believer. Frederick Buckner put it this way, our stories are all stories of searching. We search for a good self to be and for good work to do. We search to become human in a world that tempts us always to be less than human or looks to us to be more 
We search to love and to be loved. We, even in this world where it's often hard to believe in much of anything, we search to believe in something holy and beautiful and life transcending that will give meaning and purpose to the lives that we live. This is the story of humanity searching and yet not knowing that someone is searching for us. Someone is calling for us. Someone is offering rescue and comfort and yet, tragically, he's being ignored. Isaiah 40 is about those who are searching and sense their lostness. They get it. (laughs) No one needs to tell them they feel aimless. No one needs to tell them that they feel lost. But now they're at that point in their life where they cannot imagine that anyone really cares. Those who have gone down the various paths only to be met with disappointment and failure, those who feel far from God, those who feel far from home, those who feel far from the the people that they know they're supposed to be, and now struggle to really even believe that God desires to do anything about it. That God even cares. This is where the Hebrew nation of Judah found themselves here. In their moment of desperation, they felt like they just couldn't trust God. And so what they did was they turned to the neighboring nations around them and they began to worship their idols and they began to look to them to be sources of comfort and protection and deliverance and it failed them miserably. It like blew up in their face and it cost them everything. It cost them their families, it cost them their land, it cost them their their identity, it cost them everything. And now Isaiah envisions this long painful season when they've been driven far from their home into Babylonian captivity. They are defeated, they are disillusioned, and they are now like on the brink of giving up. Right on the edge. They, like many of us, began to look at the shattered pieces of their lives and how far from home they had gone and thought, we're past the point of no return. It's just too late. I think that this is probably one of the most dangerous places to be. The most dangerous place to be is not in Babylonian captivity. The most dangerous place to be is it's just too far gone now. Because this is when we begin to spiral out of control. This is when we begin to self-sabotage our lives and our relationships. This is when we begin to lash out and grow emotionally and physically violent. This is when we begin to turn to all sorts of things to numb our pain and get our minds off our despair. It's when we reach that point, like, it's just too late now. It's just too late. So here's the situation, okay? This is the situation that Isaiah 40 has spoken into. They are in despair, they're scattered, they're abused, they're war-torn, they are lost, and they're absolutely stuck. And after decades and decades and decades, nearly a century of this, it was pretty clear to every rational Hebrew person with half a brain that there's no going back now. There's no going back. And worst of all, actually, we're told later in Isaiah 40 in chapter 27 
that the people of God were at this point in their lives convinced that they were now completely disregarded by God himself. We are so far gone, they thought, we're off God's radar. Like we don't even show up on God's eternal GPS. We are gone. The epitome of God's forsaken. In a God-forsaken place, a God-forsaken people, God has forgotten us. And then, like, the most unexpected call comes through. The most unexpected voice reaches them. Verse 1, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Cry, cry, illustrated. Thank you. It's a family service. It's going to happen. Cry, cry. So I want you to pay attention to what was just stated here. Because God speaks where it would have been least expected. They are To be cheesy here, they are totally out of spiritual range, out of cell reception. They're on the backside of the mountain here. And when God speaks, he speaks words that are very unexpected. And the words that God speaks are said in the least expected tone. He speaks a tender, tender word of comfort and peace and freedom. The very situations that we think would drive God away from us, turns out actually draws God closer to us. The very situations that we think would elicit God's harshness only serve to stir God's compassion for us. Maybe we're not hearing God today. Maybe you're here sitting here thinking, okay, but I haven't heard God's voice in my wilderness moment. Maybe we're not hearing God today. Maybe we're not hearing his tender voice because he's speaking in a tone that we're not prepared to hear. We live in a a world uh, filled with noise. We live in a world filled with rage and outrage and shouting. And yet God speaks tenderly. Maybe that's what's meant by tune my heart to sing thy praise. Also tune my heart to Hear your voice. In our moment where we're bracing for God's harshness, God is preparing to surprise us with his gentleness. Isaiah goes on in verse 3, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in the ancient world, whenever a king would go throughout his empire, whenever a king would go throughout his territory, what he would do is he would send messengers ahead to these cities to announce his arrival. The king is coming. And in preparation, they would prepare the highway. Public works would come out to fix the road. A major utility company, I will not mention which, has been working in our, on our street for about the last year. 
They have no problem just digging ditches and then leaving them for everyone to run over. And they put a little bit of dirt and a little bit of asphalt and just sinks in. They're like, we'll get around to it sometime, sometime in 2022. But when the king shows up, Monday morning, first thing as the sun rises, public works is out there, filling in the potholes, leveling all the bumps, getting ready because the king is coming. But what's pictured here is so much more than potholes being filled and bumps being flattened. This is often the way that we think God works in our lives. Well, I've got these little things here. I'm a generally good person, but I've got a few little things. God needs to fill in the gaps, and you know, here and there. Isaiah is describing a highway being formed through the unimaginable expanse that exists between God and us, and literally describing valleys being lifted and mountains being leveled. The king is moving heaven and earth to get to them. The king has leveled heaven and earth to get to you. Precisely when there is no going back, when there is when we are, you know, at that place beyond the point of no return, when there simply is no possible way. God makes a way. And there's no length that God is unwilling to go to rescue us. And there is no thing that God is unwilling to level to get there. Isaiah's warning is pretty clear. Expect upheaval. God will tear apart anything that gets in the way between him and his beloved children. Upheaval is coming. He comes to you in your wilderness. He comes to you in your aimlessness. He comes to you in your sinfulness. He comes to you in your rebelliousness. He comes to you in your doubtfulness. He comes to you in your hopefulness. He comes in both mercy and might. He comes in both tenderness and power. He comes in comfort and commanding presence. He is the lion And he's the lamb to bring you out and bring you into newness. But you see, this is not about God making a way back to the old. Maybe this is another way that we can miss what God is doing in our presence. God is not making a way back to the old. He is making a way forward into the new. Into a life that is infinitely greater, infinitely brighter than anything that you could ever imagine retrieving. See, all Israel could do was imagine getting back. Just get us back to where we were. That's what they said when they exited Egypt. Just take us back to Egypt. When they're out of Israel, just take us back to Israel. But God was preparing something much greater. This is why heaven is so hard to imagine. Heaven is such a... A hard place to imagine because the best we can do is imagine getting back some portion of our life that was lost when in reality as the apostle Paul tells us God does infinitely exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine your greatest thoughts of God your greatest thoughts of deliverance your greatest thoughts of heaven they're too low try more try higher Shoot higher. This Advent, there are really three things, I believe, that this passage makes clear that we need to do 
in order to experience the hope that meets all of us in Jesus Christ, very far from home. The way that we can experience this newness that breaks into our dull or old, worn-out patterns of our lives. Three things. The first we see here is that we need to pay attention. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell them very kindly, very tenderly, pay attention? This is the message that the heralds are commanded to proclaim. Behold your God. That is just a fancy way of saying, hey, hey, look, pay attention. Look, your God is coming. I know you're distracted. I know there are a million things demanding your attention right now. I know that it is easier to look at the things that are right in front of you. I know what you see in your life may be discouraging or even scary. But it is absolutely imperative that you look to him. It is absolutely imperative that you fixate on him. Behold your God. But that means we need to know what we're looking for, doesn't it? Where is he? What are we looking for? Okay, I'm ready. Well, Christmas does this really weird thing, and I'm going to admit, it's very strange. Christmas says, hey, hey, come here. Look here in this manger. Fixate on this. See, hundreds of years later, after Isaiah, a voice would cry out in the wilderness, a prophet would appear preparing the way of the Lord and proclaiming, behold, and his name was John the Baptist. And he probably wasn't a Baptist, probably more mystical. But John the Baptist appears. And, and the interesting thing is that all four gospel writers make a connection between this prophecy and Isaiah 40 and the very peculiar ministry of John the Baptizer who ate bugs and lived in the forest. You're probably asking, what does that have to do with Christmas? Everything. Actually, everything. And the reason that is important to mention is that the king that Isaiah anticipated is the very king that John announced had arrived. Isaiah, hundreds of years before, says, hey, behold, he's coming. And John says, behold, oh, this is the good part. He's come. He's here. The one who comes into the wilderness in mercy and might to deliver his people out of misery, out of their bondage to sin, to bring them home is none other, John says, than Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Mary, the central figure of the Christmas story. And so as we look at this passage here in Isaiah 40, what we see, or rather what we hear, are echoes of Jesus in almost every single word. For instance, Jesus is our comfort, comfort in affliction. Jesus is our peace, Ephesians tells us, who brings an end to our hostility. Jesus is how our sins are pardoned. Jesus received double portion for our sins on the cross. 
Jesus is the way that God comes to us. Jesus is the way that we come to God. Jesus is the way that the glory of God is revealed. Paul would say, the glory of God revealed in the face of Christ. Jesus is the word that stands forever, that outlasts anything in creation. Jesus, Revelation tells us, is the conquering king who reigns in power and ushers in the justice system of heaven. And Jesus, in his own words, is the good shepherd who will tend to his flock, who gathers us into his arms, who holds us close to his heart, and who promises to lead us gently home. Jesus brings an absolute end to lostness and aimlessness. Our frantic search for life and meaning and joy and purpose or whatever the heck else you're looking for, our search is suddenly ended when we realize that Jesus came looking for us. This is what the Christmas story is about. Not just the appearance of a child, not just the sweet nativity scene. The Christmas story is a rescue mission. The Christmas story is God moving heaven and earth to come to us. And the good news that we see here is hope is not found in our ability to look for these things. And hope is not found in our ability to even find them. It's found in God's ability to search for you. It's found in God's ability to find you wherever you are. And the fact that Jesus, whenever it was, December 25th, March, April, who knows. The fact that Jesus was found in an animal's feeding trough tells us that he is willing to go anywhere to get us. And he is willing to step into any mess to retrieve the ones he loves. This is what it means to answer the call of the gospel. It means to turn from our own self-navigation and autonomy. Like that person who's just sweating it out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. Repentance is saying, I can't figure this out. But instead, entrust turning to Jesus and trusting his ability to lead us home. Pay attention. Secondly, prepare. Prepare. We're told, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In your moment of waiting, prepare. When you can't see God moving in your life, prepare. When you cannot imagine how or when God would ever show up in your circumstance, prepare. When you're struggling to hope, when you're struggling to believe, when you're struggling to persevere, prepare. Because what we see here is that the wilderness is not a time to wallow. The wilderness is a place to prepare because the wilderness is the place that God shows up. God is moving towards the wilderness. This passage says, be ready. This is what Advent is all about. It's a season of preparation. That's why we have spent all this time, meticulous time, walking through the prophecies of Isaiah. Why don't we just get to the Christmas story already? We are preparing. We're preparing. 
We're realigning our lives around Jesus who has come and is coming again. In fact, many of Jesus' parables and many of Jesus' teachings were about how life in between his first coming and his second coming for the Christian is a time of preparation. Tell me the Christian life in one word. Jesus may describe it like this, preparation. To constantly get ready. And the warning Jesus is constantly giving is do not be found unprepared. The word here for prepare in verse 3 means to either make ready or it also can mean make room. So in terms of a road, as I mentioned, it means to remove the obstacles. What is preparation? It means remove the roadblocks, remove the distractions, remove the idols, remove anything and everything that has positioned itself between you and God. Yes, God has made a way. Yes, he has raised the valleys. Yes, he has leveled the mountains. Yes, he has moved heaven and earth to come to you. But that does not excuse us from our responsibility to prepare and stay open. That does not excuse us from our responsibility to remove anything and everything that has gotten in the way between us and devotion to Jesus Christ. There's nothing that God is unwilling to tear down to get to us. The question for us is can we say the same about our response to him? But it's interesting, this word can also mean to clear a space. It's used in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus for the priest going into a house and clearing all of its contents. The sad irony of the Christmas story we're told in Luke's account of the gospel is that when Mary and Joseph show up in Bethlehem, it's time to give birth, but there was no place in the inn. There was no room for him. And I think the question for us then is, this Christmas, will he find space within us? Will Christ find space in your life? Will Christ find space in our church community? Preparing to experience hope and joy this Christmas is not, hear me, kids, it's not about filling our lives with more stuff. You do not need more stuff. Amen, parents said. I even got a cheer on that. Okay. Adults. It's the kids' time around Christmas, but we live 365 this way. The point behind joy, the, the point behind fulfillment, the point behind a happy life is not about acquiring more stuff, if anything. It's about making space for something greater. When the newness of God breaks into our life, it comes with demands to occupy every square inch of our lives. He doesn't want some of you. God wants all of you. And what pathetic, passive, nonsense, deadbeat God wouldn't desire all of us? So let's refuse, all of us, let's refuse to live another year marked by clutter and trivial crap. Let's refuse to step into 2022 with cluttered lives. 
And let's make space for something new as the Christmas hymn goes. Let every heart prepare him room. Finally, proclaim. Look at me again in verse 9. And this really dovetails with the song that the children sang earlier in our service. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So I love this. The irony here is that God's tender voice creates a loud shout. God speaks tenderly. God's people say it like they mean it. And the instruction is pretty clear here. The instruction is pretty simple. God tells the heralds of good news, get on up, turn it up, pump up the volume, blast the volume so that your neighbors hear it, Stop being self-conscious. Stop playing it cool. Stop taking yourself so serious. And say it like you mean it. Behold your God. This passage in Isaiah shows us today in the 21st century that the good news of Jesus has been ignored too long. That's what Isaiah is saying. This news has been ignored way too long. It's been ignored too long in our cities. It's been ignored too long in our communities, in our neighborhoods. It's been ignored too long in our own families. Our mission, our responsibility, our call as God's people is to make this news, to make this call, to make this announcement about Jesus Christ non-ignorable. And what we say is you may receive it, Or you may reject it, but you just can't ignore it. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. So Isaiah makes it clear. Say it audibly. Say it joyfully. Say it publicly. Say it courageously. Say it continuously. Behold, your God has come in tenderness. And behold, he's coming again in triumph. Look to him and trust in him. Behold your God. Can we get up on that high mountain as well, church, and proclaim this Christmas that God has come and God is coming again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.